Uh, God is doing great things with Encounter Church, and I'm so, so thankful to you and to God for what he is doing. Um, within this church, we have been learning about the kingdom, and we are going to continue to learn about the kingdom, but before we do that, I do want to give a chance to, for all the children uh, to go to be dismissed and go to Children's Church. Vanessa will be uh, leading it. Uh, if it, if you want to join, that is totally fine. If you don't, that is, that is totally fine. But it is uh, it is something that we offer, and we do want to give. Uh, we do want to minister to the children here. But as I was saying, we were talking about the kingdom and about how humans were supposed to be God's representatives here on earth. We were to represent God on this earth by bringing peace, by bringing shalom. And eventually God focused on one type of people group, the Israelites, and promised that there will be a specific king who would come who would bring hope and peace. The king spokespeople, the prophets, the king's heralds, those who spoke on the king's behalf, they proclaimed that God will send a king who would bring restoration. You see, while humans were supposed to bring peaceful rule to this earth, humans messed up and instead brought chaos, hurt, and pain, but God promised that there will be a king who would come. He promised the Israelites, God's people, during that time, that a king would come. But here's the question. What were the people supposed to do while they waited for the king? How were they supposed to act? As the Israelites wondered how they were going to live while they waited for the kingdom, they meditated, they thought over, over day and night, over wisdom literature, over the book of the Psalms, over Proverbs, over Ecclesiastes and Job, these books that are within our Bible. Through these works of meditative literature, the Israelites learned how to live in the world under God's ways. The wise acquired wisdom because they meditated over what the sages of their time had said. Today, we will look at each of these wisdom books and observe God's intention for this world. What did he desire for the Israelites to live out? And I think we could find some things that we could relate to. The first book that we're going to look at is the Psalms. The Psalms... Show us how the Israelites viewed the kingdom. If you have your notes, feel free to write this within your notes. Israelites, um, within the blank there. So the Psalms, they show us how the Israelites viewed the kingdom. Remember, we're studying this idea of the kingdom of God and seeing how it develops throughout the scriptures. And within the Psalms, it's reflection narrative. It's reflection literature, actually. And it shows us how the Israelites thought of the kingdom. This is one of the ways that they thought about the kingdom. Psalm 96.10 tells us, if you have your Bible, feel free to open it. I'll be reading from the NIV, Psalm 96.10. It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. The Lord reigns. And because he reigns, the world is firmly established. There are constants. There is order. Even if it's hard to see, especially during this time, it's really hard to see that there is order. But there is. There are some constants. And let me tell you, if it's hard to see it now, the order of God, it was hard to see that order in the times of the prophets, in the times when the Psalms were written. But nevertheless, there is some sort of order that God has established because he reigns. And this language that we see within Psalm 96, 10, this language should remind us of creation because there's this idea of order and peace. Remember in Genesis 1, 2, the world was what? It was chaos. It was tohu vavohu, the Hebrew word. It was chaotic and futile, but God came and he put things into order. And here we are reminded That just as God as king made the heavens and the earth, with his reign, he maintains that order. There are certain orders in this world. We drop something and it always falls. There are certain constants that take place. And that is because from a tohu vavohu world, from a chaotic world, God, God brought order and peace. He brought shalom. Also, this text includes a sense of judgment. As king, God will bring judgment. I know today the word judgment can bring bad ideas to our heads. Somewhat because of fear-mongering and distortions. But to the original readers, judgment really didn't have a bad idea with it. In fact, the word judgment brought the readers hope. Because the people who had done great evils would finally pay the consequences for their horrific deeds. And when God judges, he will not judge like man. Some judges say someone is guilty when the person is actually innocent, or say someone is innocent when the person is actually guilty. But this one theologian who recently passed away, J.I. Packer, he He said this, and I I believe this wholeheartedly. God will see that each person, sooner or later, receives what he deserves. If not here, then hereafter. The God that we serve, the God that is within the Bible, is a fair God. God is fair. And he will judge with equity, with fairness. The God of the Bible is not unfair. He embodies fairness. He's the one that gave us that inclination of fairness. He's the one that put it within us when we were made in the image of God. He is the epitome of what fairness looks like. But if we're being realistic, today we may not be able to comprehend everything that God is doing. And therefore, we may think God is unfair. But when the scales of this lifetime fall from our eyes, 
we will see that God, the king of the universe, has always been fair in every decision that he has made. We may not see it now, but the Bible teaches us that God is fair. In Psalm 10, 15 through 16, we read about a kingdom that will succeed in bringing justice. Psalm 10, 15 through 16 says this. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. So this, this scene is a little bit graphic, break the arm of a wicked man, but there's symbolism here, and this is not talking about a human doing it to another human, but God as the righteous judge, as the one who judges with equity, he's the one doing this. But what is the significance of breaking the arm of the wicked man? Well, back in the day, this expression meant the breaking of power, because one's arm was the symbol of power. Therefore, God as king was destroying the power of wickedness. God will stop all the evil that is taking place. If God did not stop the evildoer, evil and doom would be king. Tohu vavohu would be, would be the state of the world for all eternity. Chaos and futility would be Lord. The evil door would continue to, to hurt people and to bring destruction. But fortunately, God will stop evil. For he is the king forever and ever. Furthermore, God will stop. This verse tells us that he will stop. Stop the evil nations that have risen. The nations during that time, like Assyria and Babylon, they will perish for their wrongdoings. And I would argue that from this text, God demonstrates that he will deal with all the evil kingdoms. And last time we talked about within Daniel 7, that there will be son of man who comes who defeats the evil beasts, the evil kingdoms. God has a plan to end all of the personal sin, all the personal evil, and to end with all these structural evils that are within this world. I think this sounds pretty beautiful. A beautiful kingdom. This kingdom that God establishes through the son of David, as we learned before, is one of justice and peace. I wonder, though, will everyone enter this beautiful kingdom? The answer according to Psalm 24, 3 to 4 is no, because this kingdom is so righteous, so holy, so, so like no evil thing could go in and some people just choose to continue to be evil. Psalm 23, 24, 3 to 4 says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, this, this kingdom, this realm where God rules? Who is able to? And verse 4 tells us, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Only the one who is pure 
can enter this beautiful kingdom. As Augustine said, Augustine, the great church theologian of the 400s, 300s, 400s, he said, who then will climb up there and stay there? Talking about the person who could enter the kingdom. Only a person innocent in action and pure in thought. One who has not received his soul in vain. That is, a person who has not consigned his or her soul to the things that pass away, but realizes that it is immortal and longs for a settled and changeless eternity. It's a soul that wants more than just this world and what is physical, what is here in the present, but something that is eternal or sworn deceitfully to a neighbor. Such a person's dealings with others are free from deceit. It is also people who, who don't lie to a brother, who try to be honest, try to love others. Just as the things of eternity are simple and straightforward. And I feel like we all, to a degree, disqualify ourselves from entering this kingdom. But... Fortunately, we know that there is someone, last time we talked about the suffering servant, we know that, and we also talked about sacrifice and atonement, we know that God has always provided a way for us to be clean. We need grace from the suffering servant to enter the holy kingdom, the holy presence of God. We certainly need Jesus to enter God's beautiful kingdom. We need to be purified. There are also psalms that specifically talk about the promised Davidic king. Here's one, Psalm 72, 1 through 4. It tells us about this Davidic king. Psalm 72, 1 through 4 tells us, Endow the king with your justice, O God. The royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness. Your afflicted one with justice. May, he, may the mountain bring prosperity to the people. The hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people. And save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. The king is supposed to be a guardian of justice and a protector of the poor and of the children. The king is supposed to maintain the peace, the shalom that God had established in Eden. According to this psalm, the king will judge justly, with equity, fairly, and he will bring prosperity Righteousness is a hallmark of this king. The book of Psalms makes us hopeful and optimistic. The next book that we will look at, at, so the book of Psalms, as we saw, it has a lot of words, a lot of phrases, a lot of verses about the king. And the Israelites would meditate and think about this. But now we're going to look at Proverbs. The Psalms, they make us optimistic, hopeful. There's a king coming. Evil is going to end. But evil is still here during this time. And Proverbs really, it gives us practical truths, wise sayings that we could practice while we keep our hope for the coming king, for the day when evil will be dealt with. Uh, I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs at home. 
Uh, but for our brief time together, uh, we're just going to look at some verses with Proverbs, just two. And within those verses, we're going to look at the nature of wisdom. What is wisdom? What is practicing wisdom? What does that look like? Well, the first verse that we're going to look at is Proverbs 3.18, which tells us, uh, usually in Proverbs they use she to refer to wisdom. Um, the reason for that is that the Hebrew language actually had, um, it only had two pronouns, two personal pronouns. We have he, she, it, and they only had he and she. Um, uh, so that's one of the reasons. And they would also like to personify wisdom as a woman. But, so they're talking about wisdom here. She, talking about wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Wisdom is like a tree of life. Remember in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of knowledge. Eating from that tree brought rebellion because the first humans were disobeying God. There was also another tree within that garden, a tree of life. You would find that in Genesis 2. We could do a study on trees within the Bible, but for our time, uh, we're not going to look at it today. But we are going to look at how the tree of life appears again. This time, the tree of life does not appear in the middle of the garden but the tree of life is wisdom. Anyone who has a hold on wisdom receives the blessings of the tree of life. With wisdom, you begin to experience the good life. The second verse that we're going to look at is found in Proverbs eleven thirty. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The one who is wise saves lives. One way of practicing wisdom is producing righteousness. And one way to, to, of seeing righteousness is doing the right thing. It's also being in right standing. When you receive the fruit of righteous, of the righteous, you receive the tree of life. When you practice wisdom, you will save lives. You will share the tree of life with others. And I encourage you to practice wisdom. As I said earlier, I encourage you to read this book. Read the book of Proverbs. Uh, it is an awesome book. gives us just wise sayings here and there. And it's full of things that we could practice right away. But we won't spend any more time today within the book of Proverbs Read, read Proverbs and practice wisdom. Now let us go to one of my favorite books, Ecclesiastes. Sometimes, even when we practice the, the good sayings of Proverbs, we, we practice wisdom, we practice the, the, the things that God tells us to do, things still don't go as we expect them to go. This is where Ecclesiastes comes in. Ecclesiastes, in an interesting way, yet in a godly way, presents a critique to the book of Proverbs. Look, look, let's read Ecclesiastes 1, 3 to 11. What do people gain from all their labors? 
that which they toil under the sun. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the stream comes from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, the ear it's fill, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. In these verses, uh, there's a lot. We read about the futility of human life. There's a sense of dread. People work day in and day out. We work and we work and... What do we get? Do we get a sense of ultimate gain? No. We get physical toil, a hurt back, a broken thumb, mental pain, and anguish. And then we die. And generations come and go. Yet the earth stays with work that still needs to be done. The sun rises and the sun sets. Yet, there is still work. There's nothing new. Whenever I, I read this about sunrise and sunset, I, I am reminded of a song from Fiddler on the Roof. The song is called Sunrise, Sunset. It is a Jewish song that comes from the passage that we read. And it says, is this a little girl I carried is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older. When did they? When did she get to be a beauty? When did he get to be so tall? Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. Swiftly flow the days. Seedlings turn overnight to sunflowers. Blossoming even as we gaze. Laden with happiness and tears. What words of wisdom can I give them? How can I help to ease their way? This song really shows, man, where did time go? We look at our children and we see that time has passed. And we could wonder, how did this all happen? We could wonder, what's going to happen to the next generation? Is time just going to flow as it did with our children? Time is fleeing, and we may be just working without enjoying life. We have our children, we look at our children, and we realize that we don't have control over time. We can't just 
stop time and just stop in the moment. Time continues. And it just keeps on going. And yet, you're trying to, maybe you're trying to do what is the right thing. But yet, time is just going. You can't enjoy the things of life, even if you're doing the right thing. You're, you, you wonder your, your, your achievements of righteousness, of doing right things, and you wonder, will my work be remembered? What we have read in Ecclesiastes is a, theme, is a key theme of the book. Life is brief. And we have no control over time. Let's continue with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 8. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Some other translations have vanity, vanities, um, which is just saying that it's vain or meaningless without worth. Life can be random. You do not know how many years you're going to live. You cannot control the death you will suffer or the day you will die. Uh, on this verse, Patrick Schreiner said, life is Unclear, confusing, and uncontrollable. I tried to find a picture where he's not smiling because it's kind of a serious saying, but this was the only picture I could find. Um, so, but, and I, I, I wanted you guys to get a picture of who he was. But anyways, um, so I just think about him smiling and saying this. Um, uh, the point, however, is that you cannot control the days of light, the days of joy, and you cannot control the days of darkness. So the point of this verse is, so in the days of light, enjoy them. But do not forget that there will be days of darkness, for you cannot control everything. There will be days of darkness because there are things that you cannot control like death, time, there's a certain randomness that comes to place. And because of all of this, because of, because, of, because of uncertainty, perplexity, ignorance, and disappointment, it seems like it appears as worthlessness, everything. Like, yes, I had such great time, but there are things that we cannot control, and it just makes it all vanity. All the toil and work is meaningless and friends and enjoyment, although they bring us some joy for a, min a moment, because of things we cannot control, because of uncontrollable things, they come to an end so quick. Enjoy them, yes, in the days of light. But there are moments in the days of darkness that just, we can't really build our life upon them because of things that we cannot control. However, while there are things we cannot control, like death and time, we can control our actions. Don't leave today thinking that since all is meaningless, you shouldn't strive to practice wisdom. No, no. Look at how the author of Ecclesiastes concluded in the 12th chapter, verse 13. It says this at the very end. Now all has been heard, everything that we have read, it has all been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the duty of all mankind. Patrick Schreiner says this, he, he summarizes it like this. The call is not to ignore the randomness of life, like death and things that we cannot control, or the nature of time or the reality of death, but to stop trying to control these things. Rather, trust. We cannot control death. We cannot control the randomness of life, and instead of trying to control the random stuff of life, which is uncontrollable, we should do what is right and trust in God. Doing the right thing, according to Proverbs, is wisdom. Remember, practicing wisdom, the tree of life. Do what God has commanded. Love each other. Care for one another. Promote justice. The solution to the vanity of vanities is to obey God. Because while there is a plenty, there, there, there are plenty, there are plenty things are random in this world, we know that there are some constants. And one constant is that God will ultimately bring justice. He sees your work. He sees what you are doing, your wise saying. And even though because of the randomness of life, you may not experience it in this world, one day, either in this life or the next, in God's kingdom, he will give you what you deserve. He sees your works. We finish with the book of Ecclesiastes with the shepherd of Hermas. He was an anonymous writer. And he said this, fear the Lord and keep his commandments he, the author of Ecclesiastes, said, so by keeping God's commandments, you will be powerful in every action, and your action will be beyond criticism. Fear the Lord, then you will do everything well. This is a fear you must have to be saved. So even if there's uncertainties, even if there's things that we do not know how it's going to turn out in this life, even if things don't go the way that you expect them to go, Keep God's commandments and fear him, for he sees your actions. Respect him, love him, and he will save you. Here's a picture of the next character that we're going to focus on, on Job. And I will end with this. We're not going to look at any verses of Job. Uh, many of us know the story of Job. I just want to give a short summary of the life of Job. In the book of Job, we find this character. His name as the title suggests, is Job. He had a family and he had the money. And according to the Bible, he did what the book of Proverbs tells us to do. He practiced wisdom. He was wise. But despite doing what was right, there were things that he could not control. And things that he could not control in the spiritual realm. Job experienced, experienced great loss. He lost his livestock and his children. Job became ill. Yet in his pain, he remained faithful to God. There were a lot of randomness in his life. Yet he... He, he said this, Job said this, that even if God slayed him, he will trust in God. 
Sounds like Job was taking the words of Ecclesiastes to heart. He was going to do the right thing, even if things were not going the way he expected. Even when things were horrible and appeared as random, he was going to fear God and keep his command. In the end, because Job practiced wisdom and God is just, Job was rewarded for maintaining his faith and received a double portion for what he had lost. We see a clear example within Job, the practice, what it looks to be wise in a world of tohu vavohu while we are waiting for the kingdom. Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Psalms are books that we could spend time, lifetimes meditating upon. But by way of conclusion, I want to quote Schreiner to summarize what we have just covered, the wisdom literature. The, these writings, they, they tell us, that it shows us um, a reflection on what kingdom life looks like through Proverbs. Proverbs are just another way of saying wise sayings. Songs, laments, stories, and more history. And this is what uh, a conclusion is from the wisdom literature. Either the people will follow God's wise king and live... Or they will reject the commands of the king and die. The theme of life and death stretches back to the garden in Genesis. Where Adam faced a choice between, of all things, two trees. The writings, in a similar way, cast the choice between wisdom and folly. A choice between life and death. And I want to leave you with that. What will you decide to do today? Will you let the randomness and things that we cannot change, will you let those things control your life? Or will you be like Job, who did what was right when things went wrong? Will you trust in God by practicing wisdom? I pray that you do. We are somewhat like the Israelites But we are not like the Israelites today. The Israelites, as the Psalms showed, they were waiting for this righteous king, this just king, to come to earth. But let me tell you that the king of the Psalms has come. The king of Psalms is Jesus. Further, the wisdom of Proverbs, the tree of life, is Jesus. We are unlike the Israelites because our king is has already come. But yet, we are also like the Israelites because we are still waiting for our king to return, not for the first time, but to return and establish his kingdom. The day when Jesus will gloriously come and destroy once and for all the power of evil. Until that day, I pray, that we will continue in practicing wisdom and not folly, that we will eat from the tree of life instead of rebelling against God, even if things don't go as we expect them to go. If you have not seen Jesus as your king, I encourage you to do so today. 
See that Jesus is the wisdom of God, that we need to be cleansed, that his ways are better than our ways. Let us pray. Right there where you're at. Close your eyes if you want to join us as we pray. Heavenly Father, some things, a lot of things don't go as we expect them to go because there are things in life that we cannot control. And it's hard to continue to do the right thing. It's hard to continue to have hope for a better tomorrow. But Lord, I pray in this moment that we may know more of you. That we may know, God, that you are fair, that you are just, that you are faithful even even if we are not, even if things don't look like you are a God of peace and order. I pray, God, that we may know more of you and that as we learn more about you, we may trust more and more in you and that we may do things that glorify you and maintain your peace, a peace upon this world. I love you, God, and I pray that every single person here may see that you are on the throne. You are ruling today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I encourage you guys to stand up if you want or sit down and sing with us as we sing that we will continue to do what is right. We will continue to trust even if we don't feel like it, even if things don't, go to, don't seem to be going our way and it seems like things are going against us. We are going to trust in God.